Ladies and gentlemen, our first act is a guy who's well known throughout the country for being a massive geek. He's into his pop culture. Anybody watch a lot of Game of Thrones, uh, Walking Dead, all that kind of stuff? He's never been in any of it, but he watches a lot of it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome up the incredible Vittorio Leonardi. Hello, Thank Vic. Very, Welcome. Thank Welcome. you very much. Thank you. Let me just move this so they can see me. Nice. We're off to a cracking start. Okay. All right. Um, Vic, you, you started stand-up comedy in 1999 in South Africa. Yeah. That is was. a long fucking time ago. <laughs> yes. Why, why, why do none of them know who you are? Uh, because... <laughs> They're not trying hard enough. Tafia, help me out here. Why didn't they know me? <laughs> lovely booking agent. It's a lovely lady. It's... Doesn't book me, but lovely lady. And um, yeah. no, it's, it's, it's a simple thing is that uh, I have this um, fantastic aversion to ambition. Okay. That I like to get money, go home, and give my girlfriend the money, and then I go out and play. <laughs> right, right. No, no, I, I understand that. Like, I, I get the, uh, the, the lack of drive and ambition. I, I mean, I've got that too. I've also got a PlayStation. You know, it's that yeah, kind of. Yeah. Sorry, I'm <laughs> part of the PC gaming master race. And. Yeah. Um, that's it's just the thing. I mean, it is that thing of, yes, I want to be gigging. I want to be having a good time. But it's, I never had that rabid drive to go, it's more gigs, more work. I mean, right. you've experienced this as well. But organizing gigs is hell of a fun. Like right. when the acts don't show up 15 minutes before start of show. Yeah. And then you phone them and the phone goes to voicemail. Voicemail for comedians is their way of showing you the middle finger, basically. If you're an organizer. I feel like we've deviated slightly. I was, I was in full control of the interview and then like I lost it somewhere. I tend to um, talk a bit. No, no, that's fine. But you do, you do uh, host a lot of things. You've got uh, a geek podcast that you, you're a part oh, of. Yes. Yeah. You, uh, you host the, uh, the Icon Gaming Convention every year. You host their, uh, their comedy show. Yes. yes. Like you, you've definitely carved a kind of an issue. There are at least two people here. Seen yes. down the middle there. Four. Uh, there are four geeks. Four, four. four geeks. There we go. We've got to come My on the back. public. Yeah. yeah. So, so you, you've certainly carved a kind of a, a weird like little mm. niche for yourself. No, definitely. No, but the thing is, with, with my stand-up, I mean, I used to incorporate geek stuff into my set. I'm doing it a lot more now because of how popular geek culture is. With that thing of people have seen all the Avengers movies, all the Iron Man movies. Why you would put yourself through that, I don't know. And it's Thor and that other cuck that came with yeah. his name attached to it. So that the whole geek thing about doing the stand-up, that was just a hell of a lot of fun. You bring in, it's, you can start geeking, bringing in a geek reference and the crowd's like, <laughs> I suppose that, that, that also explains then why, why your career the last couple of years has really been picked up. Because oh, yeah. that, that's become a lot more mainstream. Oh, yeah. Since about 2004, there was this massive upsurge. I, was, I started with a comedy competition I went to in Cape Town. I was the only Joburg comic there. And it was really nice. There wasn't a prize at the end because I didn't win. But then a whole bunch... Yeah, it was great fun. <laughs> it was just, yes, thank you for coming. No, 
We like our own people. And what I, what I loved is that at the end of it, all the comics had clubbed together and said, listen, you spent all this cash coming out here. Here's your flight tickets back. Thanks for coming through. And I was like, oh. And then those comics left, and now there's no money. <laughs> well, I, I've been asking this question of a lot of people uh, over the course of the, uh, the run, and I still haven't got a satisfactory answer. Uh, so I'm hoping you can give me one. She was 18. I, no. Yes, officially. Not what I ordered, but, you know. <laughs> Is the Hunger Games based on a true story? Not a <laughs> yes, one's, it's called junk status. And uh, I think it's, give it a year and a half and Hunger Games, whoo, it's going to be, it says, may the odds forever be in your favor. Or if you have a four by four, aim for the knees. It's just going to be hilarious when people driving Range Rovers aren't going to be able to anymore. They go, <laughs> I, uh, personally, I hope it is a real thing, and I hope you're right. I hope this develops into a well, Hunger Games situation. I know that situation. Hunger Games was nicked from a Japanese idea called Battle Royal. Oh, if yeah. you ever want to see Japanese kids just beat the ever-loving crap out of each other with saws and knives, it's hilarious. It's anime live. Okay, so that's not a real story. Without though. tentacles, I just want to put is, that Is up. that one a real story? That one, uh, no, no, no. The Japanese, I think, haven't written a real story since that nasty incident with the atomic bomb. <laughs> After that, they said, let's not cause any waves. We'll just draw giant cockroaches. Ah, no waves. That's ironic because of Fukushima. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so dirty when this I do This is puns. a really topical podcast, this. Like, we've got the topical jokes coming out here. Everybody. Yay! Yeah. Okay, do you believe in ghosts? Yes. Really? Okay, tell me. Have you ever seen a ghost? No, but so I've what? been around a lot of people who say they have, but it might have been the acid. Okay, okay. <laughs> no, I, I have had, a, a, I did have one moment where I woke up and apparently it's sleep paralysis, that thing where you wake up and you can't move, but it doesn't explain why I saw something standing at the end of the bed. Okay. And I say something because I know the door was locked. There was no one else in the room. Are you pretty sure it wasn't one of your girlfriends? Well, no, girlfriend, <laughs> that's very kind. That's very kind. Um... <laughs> I, I had girl acquaintances. Um, it's, a, it, it's a girl and it's a friend. And that's yeah, that, this. But yeah, it's, okay, so you saw something at the end of your bed. Sorry, it was rude. Like no, it was literally, there was, it was, I felt a presence in the room. That and I've had stuff move around in the house without anybody touching it. I was house-sitting for somebody. And it's not a case of, you know, I walked back into the room and all the crap was piled up in the middle of the room. That, no, it was a case of I'd pushed all the chairs in on the table and I went to sleep and the next morning all of the chairs were out again. And so I don't do sleep remodeling. So, And that was about the one time where I just went, money's not good enough and gone. Oh, okay. I, I, once, uh, I once left my pornographic magazine collection <laughs> in, in my cupboard and then I came back from school the one day and it was gone. And my mom swore she'd not seen it like at all. <laughs> So was that that's, a ghost? That's, <laughs> that, that, that's was theft. that a ghost? Okay. That's theft. But at least you know your mom and you have similar taste. I mean, <laughs> it's not a, that's a shared experience right there. Does your cat know when you're masturbating? Yes. Oh yes. <laughs> I don't know. That was like a oh yes. Like I masturbate for the well, cat. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it has to be kind of like that because I can remember I go in for a shower. And apparently the cat decided that this was a spectator sport. <laughs> and I, I, I look out of the shower and there's this cat sitting on, on the toilet seat. You know, the lid was down and it was just sitting there and its tail is doing this sidey-sidey thing. And it's just with this look of, oh, don't mind me. So, so hang on, you, you, were in the, you were in the shower? Yes. Did you just overshare or were you just having a shower? No, no, this is separate to the <laughs> masturbation story. Thank No, the cat that. was wearing the gimp suit <laughs> in the masturbation story. I don't even own a cat. I don't know whose it was. So it's... <laughs> 
Have you ever done a murder? Done a murder? <laughs> In my head. Yes. Okay. It's just those moments where somebody you know, it's not even cuts you off in traffic as they come too close to your car. It's Metro Police, basically, and you picture the skin being flayed off of their bodies. Apart from that... No, you've that done a murder. <laughs> it's, <laughs> no, just that thing no of, doubt about it's it. It's the sheer pretense of coming up to the window and they say, please blow into this. And I was like, <sighs> and you know I don't drink. Well, this is the thing. I don't drink and they always do the same thing. They're like, look at the thing. And they're like, sorry, could you do that again, please? It's like, oh, okay. <sighs> and you've eventually got four cops all looking at the thing going, I, I didn't know it goes this low. Um, because they know their blood is not as clean as mine. <laughs> Technically, I should be getting money. <laughs> Speaking of getting money, I hope to God you got money for, for Laugh Out Loud that you did in 2005. With, yeah, yeah, with, Wait, 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 wait. This is, this is a moment I need to clarify for, for anybody who's going to listen to this. Back in 2005, the biggest comedians in the country hosted a TV show called Laugh Out Loud. And those biggest comedians in the country were Jeremy Mansfield and Darren Wackett Simpson. <laughs> Yeah, for my sins. How much money did they give you to do that? I think it was standard day rate. I was just paid as an actor, so I was allowed to have a waitressing job for oh, a while. Okay. And so did you, you did <laughs> sketches for it? You didn't well, that, that was the thing. I get the phone call and they say, listen, um, we need you to be a policeman. I'm like, okay. Uh, uh, you are aware I have long hair past my shoulders at this point. I said, yes, that's fine. You're going to be undercover. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. So I was thinking, okay, so I need to get a patchwork leather jacket because that was all the undercover cops wore that. I don't know if you remember <laughs> that. All the knock, all the narcotics guys used to wear that, from what I've been told from my nightclubbing buddies. And so they phoned me up and said, "Would you like to do this thing?" I said, "Sure." And they said, "Oh, and by the way, you're going to be busting Jeremy Mansfield." I said, "Excuse me, what am I going to be doing exactly?" "Yes, you're going to arrest him." I said, "You want me to read Miranda rights and handcuff Jeremy Mansfield?" Was it for racism? No. <laughs> No, he was punished for that later. And it, it, was, it was a thing of, it was supposed, the whole setup of the idea was there was supposed to be um, a charity fundraiser that he was at, but they hadn't told him what the fundraiser was for. The fundraiser was a safe house, a safe house for celebrities who want to fuck outside of the eye of the press, <laughs> basically, so they can bang whatever and take drugs and whatnot. He finds this out while he's there. And so he's getting a little bit nervous about this. I walk in and Wackett Simpson's in on this and we find a baggie of cocaine on him. It wasn't that big. I thought they would be much bigger. Yeah. yeah like at least like a shopping bag going, ah, the checkers. <laughs> there has to be some excuse for that kind of behavior. Um, yeah. Let me see here. All right. So, so uh, we've talked about, we talked about your most disappointing TV experience. I want to talk about your most <laughs> awesome one. Uh, District 9, you were in that movie. Oh, yeah. That was a lot of fun. The thing is, uh, being in District 9, there were two shoots. And the first one, apparently the orders were, listen, we're just going to have it very loose and we're going to improvise stuff and it's going to be all nice. And that didn't work because apparently a script makes things less shit. And so (laughs) Peter Jackson saw the first draft and went, no, do it again. So I came back and it it was a hell of a thing because we're in the middle of Cliptown Soweto with Caspers and guys in tech uniforms with machine guns. And they had hired the entire camp of Cliptown Soweto for six months. They bought the use of a squatter camp. That's how much money these people have. It's, you can buy a house. These people bought everything. And so we show up there and there's these vehicles rolling and guys. And I just wanted to be there when the one dude who was drunk when the deal was made... And they, uh, he opens the door and apartheid <laughs> has come to visit him. <laughs> and he's like, oh, shit, king. 
And I mean, we were on set and the guys from Arms Corps show up to give us futuristic looking guns, but they're all that cuck army brown that has never been appealing anywhere. And so he gets this thing, it's a 20 millimeter anti-materiel cannon. This thing is used to shoot down buildings. And he goes, yeah, so we got this uh, very like experimental bottle. It's on the back of a bucky, naturally. And so the guy loads in blanks. We're in the middle of a freaking township. And he goes, firing! And what sounds like an artillery shell goes off. <coughs> and people lean out of their shacks going, is it over, Dad? <laughs> it's like, okie dokie. But there was no real announcement. He just took this enormous cannon and fired it off. To get the warning, that's like yelling spoilers two seconds before you reveal who is Kaiser Soze. It's pointless. But it was a hell of an experience. The dumbest extra I've ever met in my life I've met on that show. Was, okay, tell yeah, me that story. Myself and Melt Sibirach, another great comic. We're in the back, and we're trying to figure out what these... He's, Melt is trying to wrap his head around what the actual plot of District 9 is. So, because they, we've been given very sketchy details. It didn't even have a name then. And so we're just cruising along in the back of this Casper, and he goes, so basically the plot for this is Cry the Beloved Country Meets Independence Day. And the extra sitting across from us goes, yeah, it's like Coke and Coca-Cola. <laughs> Don't think about that statement too long. Blood will actually shoot out your nose. <laughs> and we just, we actually, you know when you feel the oppressive weight of stupid in a room, we just go, oh, fuck, that's infectious. And, and we, just, we just, when an entire buttload of, of, when a whole lot of extras all just go, ee, and turn their heads towards the, the center of stupid in the universe. <laughs> and they just go, oh, oh don't breathe. Oh, don't breathe. It was, it, was, it was a hell of a thing. I mean, chasing invisible stuff on set was funny because they put the guy in the green screen outfit and they said, right, now Vic, we want you to run towards these train tracks. Come again. Run. <laughs> and the guy, I swear to you, he said, yeah, it's downhill. Because <laughs> he's a fat guy too. He knows. Downhill, we're very, we're like dwarves. Fat people are very good on short distances and downhill. Sprinting, good. Long run, no. I need to just clarify. Do you mean dwarves in the kind of uh, fantasy type yes, scenario? Yes, Lord of the, the Rings sort like of Like actual way. midgets. No, not... <laughs> Warren, they don't run. We throw them. So. And that brings me neatly to my other question. <laughs> Do midgets have night vision? Yes. Okay. <laughs> but only from the waist down. Usually with the tune, I'm in the mood for love. Is, is it... Just, sorry. Is it, is it... I'm being professional here. Is it, uh, is it just because you're from Welcome that you, you find yourself in these kind of racist scenarios? Because you told me... A st- <laughs> You, you've, you told me a story once where you did a gig in Nelspray. Uh, it was for oh a mining God. company. Yeah, we were hired to do improv comedy. It's like, whose line is it anyway? Except with us, it was not a four-hour show edited down to 20 minutes. This was the full four hours. We show up in Nelspray for this manganese mining company. We didn't know what we were walking into. The company, to say that the company was racially divided is like saying that the Atlantic is damp. And we walk in, the white portion of the company refused to have an end-of-year function with the black portion of the company. So we walk in to a room where it's 90% African and 10% Afrikaans. And it's just with that really sour, onion-sucking face. And we walk in, and they'd hired two separate sets of entertainment. The township band for the African folk and us for (laughs) E-whiteys. And so Al Prodgers looks at all this. Another, I don't know if you haven't interviewed him for this yet, but definitely do. Because Al Prodgers, brilliant comic, he was in the army. And so he has a way of putting things where he just walked in and went, 
yeah, that's no moi. <laughs> that's no fucking moi. <laughs> and he just muttered it to himself. I mean, we were there as myself, um, uh, Monique Nortier, Juliet Jenner, all these very talented improvisers. And we walk in, and Al goes on, and for 30 minutes, I've never seen someone venture and work in the salt mines like Al did. He got the crowd on our side. Because by the time we had walked on stage, the boss had already set the scene. The boss introduced us like this. We were under the name of Improv Express. He walked on with a message that was roughly, so here's some, here's some comedy, and is funny, laugh or else, and here is Improv Express. <laughs> so I thought, oh great, we're motivational speakers now. We just have to yell yes the whole fucking time. Would you let like the, the thing about this this industry that I think a lot of people talk about, like, mm. is that you do wind up doing, you know, it's not it's not like the movies where you see a comedian starts out in a venue with like 15 people and then then by the end of the movie they're in arenas and life is great. The day after that arena tour, they're back in yes. kind of 15 <laughs> people and you know they're Hello, dick jokes, yes, yeah, yeah, and like I, I would imagine one of your worst gigs that night at Wish. You and I oh, were yes, that was fun. Um, I, I used to do very, very, I, well, not very many. I did one particularly dirty dick joke that someone took offense to, to the point where... A Wait, tell me that dick joke. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> um, the question that I asked, and it's a question I'll ask of the audience now, and says, um, how many people here in the room, by round of applause, think that, believe that size matters? One, two, three. Three honest people in the room. Fantastic. And you would be absolutely right. Size does matter. Women need smaller vaginas. Now, um, and here was, this was, I was fine at that point because then I explained it. I said, Let, let's be honest now. Let's say your man is very good in your garden. He's got an excellent shovel, keeps it neat, tidy, and free of burrs. He's very good. Does the edging and the trimming. He's very good. But if he's got to work Hang on, is, three that, is that a dick analogy? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I thought it was okay. being subtle. But okay. um, so once he thrusts it in, right. And so my theory is that he might have the best shovel ever. It's just right for you. But if he's got to work a four-acre yard, <laughs> it's going to take him a while to hit the back fence is all I'm saying. <laughs> and you see there's a few... Uh, and this is as far as it went, usually. And then I'm standing there and wish, didn't have a stage, it was just you were on the floor. You wished for a fucking stage. And <laughs> so you're there and the audience is right there and it's me and about where that yellow line is, about a meter and a bit, is where the sound guy is. And this tumbler comes sailing past us at, at waist height. So, and both of us did this thing where, you know when you're watching tennis and everybody's head goes the same way, we all just went... And our eyes met and we're like, did that just freaking happen? Like by tumbler, you mean a glass? Yes, yeah, a large like a, glass tumbler, an like empty one, which is nice. Whatever, yeah. yeah, if a tumbleweed was... <laughs> <ooh>, <laughs> urge to disc comic. And at this point, what I loved is there was a gay couple in the front row and they said, was that part of the show? And I said, no, that was extremely not part of the show. But the comics were like, yeah, well done, war stories. Because comics love it when you get fucked up and they get to watch. It's like, oh, you had a cuck time. Tell us your story, sir. And it was a hell of a thing. I mean, she got thrown out of the venue. 
the woman who threw it turned out they were uh, it was it was a girls not even a girls night out it was a hen party way in the back who hadn't paid attention to a damn word we'd been saying apparently at that moment she tuned back into the conversation to hear ye dick joke and then bccsa warning comes out <laughs> i was like what you can't be pissed off when you there was all this other cool stuff and then the 15 seconds where you were offended what is this cuck yeah, I get I get upset with people when they when they kind of come to a comedy show and then insist on talking to you about how offended they got with that one joke of yours. Like like you give a shit. But it was not, but, and it's not just that though. It's a, Joe Parker had a great way of putting it. Is it? No, it was Billy Connolly actually. I heard him say it. He says, "If Joe Parker offend, probably also said it." Yeah, you know, <laughs> same age. And what what he said was that if you're offended by something, fine, but don't sit through the whole show and tell me it annoyed you. Fuck off now. Yeah. Like, don't, that, that thing of saying the whole show is that, no, don't then ask for a refund. At that point, I'm allowed to kick you in the nads. Yeah, please don't leave, guys. Please. <laughs> stay. Please stay. <laughs> oh, no, by now the superglue in the chair is kicked in. They're going nowhere. <laughs> you also, like, I remember I did, I did uh, opening for TV shows. It's the, the, worst, <laughs> it's the yes. worst possible job a comedian can do, right? Because what you do is they hire you to supposedly go for 15 minutes and warm up the live crowd who've actually been bussed in from, like, a local homeless shelter or whatever. Genu- genuinely. Like, uh, then they bust in this, this crowd who, who, like, shabby homeless people, and you have to come out and you have to make them laugh and in the mood to, do, to like, watch a game show, you know? Um, and every comedian who's ever done that has got a terrible horror story about, like, doing... I, I did one where I was hired for 15 minutes and then they expected me to do six hours while they did technical, like, it was genuinely yeah. six hours in front of the crowd. Yes. And then they got super upset with me because I reached the point where I had to start telling my disgusting kind of late night club jokes. I was like, this is free shit. You don't get to be offended with me for free shit. Anyway, so, so I guarantee you've done yeah, that. I guarantee you. Yeah, there was um, when Deal or No Deal came on South African TV. It was, it was a fun experience in that you show up, it's like 7 in the morning, they feed you, always my favorite part. And there's all the models, and you chat with them, they're nice, and the host, he's nice, and all the rest of it. I got to meet Howie Mandel because of the show, because they did the celebrity episode, the American episode. I'm going to nod and pretend I know who Howie Mandel is. is. Yeah, comic from the 90s, he's okay. head shaved, he's germphobic, it's great fun. And so, I'm in there, and then the extras arrive. Now... To give you an idea of how television is shot in this country, whenever they need an audience, they hire an audience. It's not like Oprah where people are on a waiting list. No, people get bussed in. And extras are generally students, retired people, and homeless people, people, basically. This is how they get their cash. So for 750 bucks a day, they, they sit there for 12 hours, they get paid, they get fed, and they get to watch something. Wait, it's 750 bucks a day? Yeah, I had a good agent. Somebody should have told me that. (laughs) So they show up, and I, I look at the bus that's dropping some of the audience off, and I'm going, that that can't be. Maybe they just rented the bus. It's from the Avril Elizabeth home. <laughs> and out come people with hectic mental <laughs> handicaps. And I have no issue with the handicap, but when you, when you put all of them in the front row... So, Vic, I'm just going to pause you. If you want to leave, now is an acceptable <laughs> time. <laughs> and I, was just, I was looking at this going, okie dokie. And so we go up, and it's that thing where like, every time there's a technical screw-up or something, yeah, send on the dancing jester. And 
there's only so much material you have. So after a while, you just start talking to the audience. You can't say, hey, where are you from? No, wait, I saw you come in on the bus. I know exactly where you're from. You also weave baskets for a living? Yes. (laughs) Unbelievable. What were the chances of that? Yes. (laughs) And I mean, we're sitting there and I'm just chatting with the people. And over, uh, I did it a few times, I think like eight times eventually, because most of the comics would do it once and go, screw this. (laughs) And so I needed the money. So I just kept coming back. And it got to the stage where I was talking to the editing guys and they said, look, um, we have, they're talking to the producers, listen, you need to get totally different audience now. Because what they'll do is they'll shoot maybe two episodes in a day or you know, the space of a week, but they kept using the same damn audience. And you can usually change what they're wearing and move them around and it looks like a different audience. You can't hide someone that has a mental deficiency whose face has reacted to it in that way. Basically, nor should you, Vittorio. Yes. Nor should you. No, normally not, but it's kind of hard to miss it when you're watching the show. I thought it was cute that they were hoping people would watch the show. And so they were editing in the audience from the previous series. And then they started using the British one. And I'm going up there and said, listen, um, guys, what, what exactly do you want me to do with them? So, oh, no, there's stuff to give away. You do not give away free shit to people who don't have jobs. <laughs> because I said, who wants... Yes! Whoa! It was like... Have you ever seen a zombie movie where the guy's standing on top of a car and the hordes around the car and they're just too thick to climb onto it? They don't know how a car works and how to climb. But there's a... I'm going, fucking back! Back! In Gawa! And... It was just, it was, after the end of those days, I said, so, how was it? And you, 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 look, you know the booking agent, and they're a nice person, but you're going, if I had a hammer, <laughs> yeah. you would be one of them. But the, but the thing is, people, people are crazy for, for free stuff, even if they've got a job. Like, oh, yeah. I, I've given away T-shirts from the stage on Rocking the Daisies, <laughs> and those are rich students, yeah. and I've watched them murder each other. For a free T-shirt. <laughs> and you, the best part is find the group of people, throw the his shirt into the audience, but you know it's an extra small, and you throw it <laughs> to, the, to the behemoths. And just, <laughs> it tastes like barbecue sauce. <laughs> it's, you know. That does explain all your tank tops. Oh, yes. <laughs> they start out as vests. Ladies and gentlemen, Vittorio Leonardi. Thank you very much. <laughs>